Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. So today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's um, a five-week series. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, this part of the series is going to be focused on For the Love of Others. I know it's a weird title, but For the Love of Others. Um, it really represents the second commandment in the Bible, where Jesus said there's two great commandments that we can fill. If we do these two things, you fulfill all the commandments. The first one is to love God. Say love God. love God. The second one is to love others. Say, yeah, you guys already got it. Figured it out. Awesome. What's interesting to me, and I want you to follow along with me on this, it's impossible to do the first unless you're willing to do the second. It's impossible to love God unless you're willing to love others. Why is that, Pastor Tom? Because God loves people. So you cannot have the heart of God, you cannot understand the love of God, unless you understand that one of the most important pieces of love is to love others, to love our brothers and to love our sisters. Today's subject will be a little challenging. On the surface, uh, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians doesn't appear to be a very difficult subject. But as we dive into the subject, I believe it will cause many of us to wrestle with some of the beliefs and some of the motives that we have in our life. And this is a good thing. It's good to wrestle. Our journey in following Jesus should be challenging at times because it causes us to wrestle with those selfish desires that are within us. Don't deny that you have them because you do. If your journey in following Jesus is never challenging to you, if following Jesus is never challenging to you, then I would verify or I would confirm that you're following Jesus and not asking Jesus to follow you. Many of us just want Jesus to follow you. If you want life transformation, start following Jesus. It will be challenging, but it will change your life. Let's begin today, and I want to start by reading verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bibles here today or your devices that you read your Bible from, I encourage you just to leave that on. Turn off the volume, turn down the sound so it doesn't ring, but leave that on so that you can and, and just follow along as I'm reading through these things. You might want to go back to it. Paul writes, now concerning, let me start before I say that. We were already in the previous uh, um, series, we were talking about how Paul was answering questions that, uh, from a letter that was sent to him by the believers in Corinth. And this continues that on in chapter 8, Paul's answering another question. So I just want to give you a little background as we dive into this. Paul writes, now concerning food offered to idols, so this is a question that they had asked him. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And notice that knowledge is in quotes. Um, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Let's begin with just a prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're going to continue to read your word today, Lord, and we just ask that your word will just penetrate our heart and our mind. And Lord, as we 
make this commitment to continue to follow you in all that we do, I pray, God, that our lives will be transformed. They will continue to be transformed into your image, Lord God, I pray. Um, That's our goal is to become more and more like you. I ask that that would take place today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can see again in verse 1, Paul is answering a question that is sent by the Corinthian believers. It's a question regarding eating food that has been previously offered up to idols. And you might think, Pastor Tom, how does this relate to us? Well, just follow along, it will. In the previous chapters of one of 1 Corinthians, we've talked about how Corinth was a highly charged sexual culture. Um, it's like going to Vegas. I was talking to someone outside this morning. He, he, they're heading to Vegas this week, so I hope this doesn't ruin the trip. But it's like going to Vegas. I lived in Vegas for seven years, so it's okay. But, you know, the advertising in Vegas is really focused on two main things. Gambling and sexual experiences. Those are the two things that you see when you go into And really, Vegas prides itself on a sinful experience. What happens in Vegas? You guys know that better. Some of you guys know that better than Scripture right there. Come on. Jesus, help me on that one. I think Corinth had a similar uh, uh, culture. What happens in Corinth? Stays in Corinth. It kind of had the same kind of a culture. It was known for sexual culture, and and it was really known for the many gods that they served. Paul is now dealing with this question. Is it okay to eat food that had been previously offered up to idols? What do we do, Paul? I remember when I was in the Vegas church. I was the executive pastor there. And there were times uh, when we would take the offerings. We'd pass out the offering buckets all the way through. We don't do that since COVID. We kind of stopped doing that. But you guys have been faithful. Thank you for being faithful. Um, But we'd pass out the offering buckets. And and, uh, every once in a while, all of a sudden, inside the offering bucket, when when the ushers were taking it out, all of a sudden there'd be a big roll of $100 bills. They'd be tight. Whoever did it was really, it took a lot of time because, I mean, each, it'd be rolled up, it'd be a big old roll, it'd be a big rubber band around it, and there could be five, $6,000 in this, in this roll of $100 bills. It was relatively obvious that someone had just won, you know, at the blackjack table or at the poker table the night before. Now, the million-dollar question, what do you do with money? Is gambling even a sin? The Bible doesn't necessarily speak to the issue directly. We do know that the Bible states that the love, for the love of money is sin. If you love money, it's sin. We know that we are to avoid schemes on how to get rich quick. So I would argue for some, gambling is definitely a sin. I've counseled people who have put their families in horrific situations by gambling going so far into debt that they just have, really almost have no way out. And that's selfishness, and selfishness is a sin. Paul writes in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition. But back to the question, do, do we eat meat that's been offered to idols? Do I deposit money into the church checking account that's been won at the gambling tables? I bet many of you want to know what I did. I'm not going to tell you today. I'm going to just leave that out. It's kind of like, you know, those TV episodes that all of a sudden just leave you on, the, so you have to watch next week. So, there, yeah, there you go. Come back next week. You might find out. But let's deal with the question in Corinth. It's interesting to see how Paul goes about answering their question. He begins first with the issue of the heart. He doesn't give a direct answer, yes or no. 
He deals with the motivation behind why they're doing what they're doing. Paul addresses, really kind of addresses two different camps in this passage of Scripture. First, there's the legalism camp, following a Christian set of rules, defining what is good and what is bad, what we can do and what we can't do. It's kind of the pharisaical approach. The idea is if we live by these set of rules, it will make us more spiritual. If I, it doesn't matter what my heart is saying. If I live by these rules, it will make me more spiritual. It really doesn't matter if our minds think differently if we follow the rules. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Something we need to always remember. Paul recognized following a set of rules will never set you free. If you've been trying to follow a set of rules to get yourself free from an addiction, from whatever, that will never completely set you free. It might be helpful, but what's going to set you free is the power of Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit residing in you. So I want to make that really clear because Paul is really not trying to set up a new set of rules here. The other camp that's kind of being presented is that we live in freedom because of Jesus. We don't live under a set of mandate rules. Everything is permissible as long as it it doesn't disagree with God's word and as long as our conscience is free. Everything is permissible. It appears that many of the Corinthian believers fell into this camp. And I, I would think that most of us here sitting today or watching online would probably fall into this camp as well. I grew up during a time when Bowling was bad. When playing pool was bad. I heard, I remember that. Playing cards. Oh my gosh, you play with the deck of cards? That's horrible. My kids grew up in Vegas. They knew how to play poker before they got out of kindergarten almost. Why was that? Why? Because why, why? you probably need to clarify that for some. Because some are like, why would bowling be bad? Why would... Well, back in the day, what the thought was is that, you know, like at a pool hall or wherever it was, there was a lot of drinking and smoking and swearing and just the environment was bad and it's where a lot of sinner was, was located. Forget about being a light in the dark world. There's a lot of sinners where it's located. And so you should stay away from that. Even if you're associated with that, you're, you know, you're basically being sinful. So it came from that kind of a, of a idea, you know, that pool was bad. Today, I have a pool table in my living room. No lie. If you've been to my house, you see a nice pool table. I got it for my 40th birthday. It's in my living room. We had a relative years ago come through our house. He's kind of from the legalism camp. And he saw the pool table. It was like a major I-5, you know, crash on the I-5 freeway. It's like, whoa, how can he be a pastor and have a pool table in his house? So this is kind of the struggle that's happening in the church in Corinth. There's a struggle. There's a a collision on the I-5 freeway where all of a sudden, wait a minute, we don't understand what's happening. It's a struggle around some Christians eating meat that had been offered up to idols and seeing nothing wrong with their actions and others seeing the action as horribly sinful. And Paul is supposed to resolve this issue. This struggle, this question. Come on, Paul, give us an answer. I think he already did. They just didn't like the answer. So we'll keep on going. (laughs) The first truth I want to present to you today from Paul's writing is this. 
Love is superior to knowledge. Paul states that knowledge puffs up. Reminds me of those advertising balloons that were popular for a while. Every once in a while you'll still see them. That inflatable tube person. You know what I'm saying? They're out in front of a storefront and they blow around like this and they're crazy. And and it's just to draw attention to that storefront. But if you think about that inflatable tube person... What's keeping that thing up in the air? And sometimes they're 20 feet high, and it's just a blower that's filling that thing up with air, and it's keeping it up. As soon as you turn that blower off, guess what? That inflatable tube person just shrinks down to nothing, and basically you can fit that whole thing into a box that's probably smaller than a shoebox. And it reminds me of a person who's filled with knowledge but has no meaning or purpose. A person filled with knowledge with no meaning or purpose. Knowledge not directed to accomplishing something good is meaningless. It's empty. A person can be super intelligent, but as dumb as a box of rocks when it comes to building relationships and help. You've met those people before, I'm sure. You're going, huh? How can you be so smart and yet so? Basically, this is what Paul is addressing. Basically, knowledge without love is meaningless. I read a statement from a commentary that stated this way. I thought it was really good, so I present it to you today. Knowledge is proud that it has learned so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows no more. So many times when we gain knowledge, it makes us proud. Wisdom is understanding that we don't know everything. There's so much more to know. See, knowledge puffs up. The Greek word that is used there for puffing up is to inflate. That's what it means, to inflate. Your knowledge all of a sudden becomes an instrument of arrogance. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking to the believers in Corinth. Unbridled knowledge leads to pride. Wisdom is knowledge with humility. Corinth was a place that took great pride in their education, took great pride in their philosophy. Some of the Christians in Corinth recognized that meat offered to idols had no real significance. The meat that was being offered to idols, it wasn't that important. The idols were false gods, meaning they weren't real. They're just made out of wood. They're just made out of stone. They're not real. So they had no power over them. So why worry if meat has been offered to idols or not? Come on, a ribeye is a ribeye. A T-bone is a T-bone. A tenderloin, oh, my favorite. A tenderloin is a tenderloin. What does it matter if it's been offered as a sacrifice to an idol or not? And probably, most likely, you know, in the city of Corinth, if you went down to the grocery store, there was probably a section that was on special for all this meat that had been offered to idols. Man, you could get for a fifth. Everybody loves a sale. You know, 50% off. I'm going to pile up on this and bring it home. Choosing not to eat meat offered up to idols is probably a much more difficult task than what we might think in our culture and our thinking. It wasn't just what you prepared at home. How about what happens when you get invited over little, to little Timmy's birthday party and all of a sudden they're barbecuing up hamburgers that's idol meat? What do you do? You don't even know it maybe. Or what happens when all of a sudden you're going to a function and and all of a sudden a, a neighborhood block party and the hot dogs being offered is, have been meat that was offered as a sacrifice the night before. A decision not to eat meat offered up to idols would impact 
the social life of the Corinthian believers. Civic functions from weddings, from funerals, and business functions probably served meat that had been offered up to idols. So it was a big deal. Notice in verse 1 the statements, all of us possess knowledge. If you go back to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, all of us possess knowledge. And it's in quotes. It appears that Paul is referencing their statement in their letter to him. It seems like Paul had already written or had spoken on the subject of eating meat that was offered to idols, but they didn't like Paul's answer. So now we're going to get somewhere here. It might be a little uncomfortable. That's okay, right? Yeah. They respond back to Paul. We, have, we all have knowledge. We know these idols aren't real, so why should we even worry about eating the meat? We all have this knowledge. We understand that. And this is why the Apostle Paul in verse 1 makes a strong contrast by stating, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The reason love is superior to knowledge is because love builds up. Knowledge is great, but if your knowledge has no concern for others, then your knowledge is selfish and harmful. It's like playing uh, for a sports coach. Um, who has all the knowledge in the world but doesn't care about his or her players. The players are seen only as objects. They're only as pawns to win the game. And some of you have had those coaches. I had that coach when I was like in third grade. I mean, every other word was an F-bomb. He thought he was, I mean, he was such a narcissist. I mean, he thought everything revolved around him. He didn't even care about his little kids. He, we're going to win this game. He's like, settle down, man. It's, you're a little out of control here. Big, I still remember him. Big old, big old cigar. He'd always smoke on that cigar. Always have. Literally, this is a third grade. Yeah, I'm not teasing you. Smoke on that cigar, and we're like these little kids. I'm like, okay, whatever. What, what did mom and dad have me out there for? <laughs> but all of a sudden, when you have a coach or you see a coach who applies love to his or her knowledge, man, it becomes a game changer. Now you feel valued and you feel loved by that coach. You're not just a game piece. You're not just an item or a, a project or something to win, win, the, win, the, win the game. Those players all of a sudden recognize that they're loved and valued by their coach. Those players will give their all to that coach because they know that coach recognizes them and loves them. It all of a sudden becomes more than just a game. Jesus came to this earth to demonstrate God's love to us. Jesus died on the cross for the love of others, for his love for others. As Jesus prepared his disciples for his soon departure from this earth, he shared with them this truth. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Loving God and loving others is our highest calling in our life. It trumps all of the knowledge in the world. If we just learn to love God and to love others. Love is what strengthens us. Paul states in verse 3, those who love are recognized by God. You want to be recognized by God? Love others. Watch what happens. This truth leads us into the next truth that Paul shares. And I'm going to just take the time. We've got enough time. Trust me on it. Uh, to read the rest of this chapter. Starting in verse 4, it says, Therefore... As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence that, and that there is no God but one. For although there, has been, there may 
be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and these are false gods he's talking about, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we are exist. Basically he's saying you are created by God through Jesus Christ. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. I'm going to just read that one more time. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating at, in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother's and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. What Paul is stating is that our love is greater than freedom. It's important to note, as we, live, as we see in verse 4, that Paul doesn't disagree with the Corinthian believers that these idols being worshipped are nothing more than wood and stone. He agrees with them. They're they are not really a god. This doesn't mean that the idols don't represent some evil spirit. Or, but, but does that evil spirit have power over a believer? No. See, the Jewish believers understood this fundamental truth found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. From a very young age, they understood it. It was ingrained in them. It was drilled into them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They knew that there was only one God, one true God. Everything else was false gods. There was no other God than Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth. And Paul agrees with their con conclusion. But in verse 7, we see this big but. I know, I said that for a little bit of humor. <laughs> the Greek word, Allah, it can be translated but, except, or however. It is here where Paul explains just because you have the knowledge or the understanding that idols are not real, doesn't mean that other believers have that same knowledge that you possess. Just because you understand the sacrifice is taking place in, for the idols, that you realize it's just a piece of wood. It doesn't really matter. So I'm going to eat that meat, man. It's on sale at, at uh, Stater Brothers, man. It's 50% off. I'm buying the meat. I'm going to take it home or we're going to have a party, okay? But for that brother that, that comes out of the whole idea of worshiping idols and he sees that you're eating meat that's been worshipped or that's been offered to idols, it conflicts with him because he grew up that way. All of a sudden, there's a problem that's taking place. For a believer of Jesus who was converted from idol worship, the idea of them eating meat that had been offered an idol was a sin for them. The only thing I can think of is kind of similar as different others. There's other examples as well, but it's kind of similar to someone who's an alcoholic who has a real struggle with al alcohol, who has this addiction that just draws them. For them to drink a beer or a glass of wine would probably be wrong. Even though we know that 
a glass of wine is not necessarily harmful. In fact, Paul tells Timothy to have a little wine to help his stomach. But do we encourage someone who struggles with alcohol to, hey, come out and have a drink with us? Of course not. Just because you have freedom doesn't mean you should tempt others to, who don't have that same type of freedom. Because for them, it's a sin of their conscience. They know what alcohol will do to them. They understand the dark road. If they start going back down that road of alcohol, where it will take them. For you, it might not be a problem, but for your brother, it might be an issue. In verse 9, Paul gets to the heart of the issue. We read it a couple times. We're going to read it again. But take care that, there, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What is Paul saying? It's the responsibility, and I'm going to just use this word. I don't think it's the right word, but for a stronger believer. But basically when I say stronger, it's for a believer who does not have that same temptation that someone else might. It's the responsibility of that believer, the person who doesn't struggle with that temptation, to lead the way. It's caring for your Christian brother or sister. It's the principle that love is greater than freedom. Your love for others is more, impor more important than your personal freedom. And man, I'll tell you what, this is a hard, hard principle to follow in our American culture. Woo! I mean, we're founded on liberty and freedom. That's where our culture is built around. It shouldn't matter what anyone else thinks. I have rights. And man, I'll tell you what, that type of thinking, man, penetrates my mind all the time. It does, because I, I grew up, it's my nature, it's, it's who I, I mean, we're Americans, it's just freedom. It's ingrained in us. But Paul states, take care that this right of yours, this freedom of yours, this liberty of yours, the Greek word translated literally means liberty, choice. See, some of the Christian believers were claiming that they had the freedom to do as they pleased, because they had no temptation when it came to idols. But Paul reminds them that it's the responsibility for them to lead the way. To not become a stumbling block, an obstacle to someone's journey in following Jesus. Your love for others trumps your personal freedom of choice. That's a tough one, guys. Your love for others should always trump your personal freedom of choice. Otherwise, your choices become a stumbling block that can lead another person towards destruction. And Paul reminds his readers, tough one. The person that you're becoming a stumbling block for, this is a person that Jesus died for. <laughs> Brings it home. When we encourage others to do something they believe is wrong, Paul states we're sinning against Jesus himself. Wow, I don't want to do that. Because Jesus loves that person. The Apostle Paul ends with this statement. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. That's a bold statement. I can never imagine not having a coffee-crusted New York steak that is smothered with bourbon and caramel sauce ever again. 
I have rights. I have liberty. I have freedom. I cry out. You guys didn't know the Apostle Paul was a vegetarian, did you? I don't know if he was. I'm just. But what is a soul worth? What is a soul worth? For Jesus, it was worth giving up his rights. And he sacrificed his life so that some would believe. I told you when I began that this message would make you wrestle with some of your beliefs and motives. But again, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we wrestle. Because wrestling is part of the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. So I leave you, with, leave you with this question. What will you sacrifice for the love of others? What will you sacrifice so that you could present Jesus to others? Are you willing to give up some of your personal freedom for your love for others? Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus did. He came to this earth. He gave up his rights. At any point, he could have called down heaven when he was there being ridiculed and spat upon and putting crown of thorns on his head. He could have stopped all of that in any moment. But he gave up his right as the prince of, 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 of the kingdom of heaven, as the king of kings, the Lord. He gave up his rights. He sacrificed everything. And he went to a cross to die for your sins and for my sins so that we could have personal freedom, so that we could find this freedom that's only found through Jesus Christ where our sins could be forgiven and washed away from the blood of the Lamb, where we no longer have to be held in this place of, of sin and bondage and we're set free. You see, sometimes it requires a sacrifice to help someone be free. What are you willing to sacrifice so that someone else can find freedom? That's the message that Paul is talking about. Hey guys, don't get so caught up with all this stuff. I know it's a struggle sometimes because we're surrounded by, I know there's this festival going on, there's this birthday party going on, there's all this meat. But man, some of you guys, you're not paying attention. You're, and there's people, there's brothers and sisters around you that think, oh man, I'm giving you permission. But when they eat that meat, they know in their conscience that it's wrong for them. Don't lead a brother or sister down a road of destruction when you can lead them to freedom. Christian life is about sacrifice. Oh, Pastor Tom, I didn't know that when I signed up. Well, now you know. Welcome. We love you. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything greater than sacrifice. I really don't. I think when we all of a sudden just, I don't know how to crucify, the Bible talks about crucifying the flesh. It's just kind of taking the desires of your flesh and saying, no, 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 no. I'm following the desires of God. There's transformation. There's transformation. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Woo, we thank you your word is powerful. It is strong. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change. God, we ask that, that your word will penetrate our heart and our life today. For some that maybe are here who have just been struggling, maybe in their own life, just following you, and it's been 
it's, it's a sacrifice that's a struggle. It's the giving up. It's the challenge. It's the things that they know is wrong with that they just, they don't want to give that up. I pray God right now, fill them with your love. Let them see your goodness and your grace. That man, the sacrifice is worth every, every moment to have, a, to have eternity with you. This life will pass by so fast, so quickly. Lord, it's what we do for you that will last forever. So Lord, I pray today that we will be able to make that commitment to you in a greater way than ever before. I thank you for Paul's words that were written down for the church in Corinth. I thank you that they're relevant to us today in different ways, but same, same word that's relevant. Help us, Lord God, to serve you in greater ways than ever before. Because Lord, we love you. And we are so grateful and thankful that we get to serve you today. In Jesus' wonderful name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.